This is a critical time for skincare. As the seasons are changing, it's cold enough now that the radiators are on, so that's affecting our skin. And I have so many patients saying, I don't know what to do. I always tell my patients, we're transitioning our wardrobe. We should really transition our skincare at those same points throughout the year. Welcome back to Off the Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. Hey, girls. Hey, hey. Another small but mighty team. This is Jamie, and it's just me and Christine today with our fabulous guest. So I'm going to give her the intro. Dr. Michelle Henry is one of the most esteemed skin docs on the scene. In addition to her thriving practice, where she specializes in reconstructive and cosmetic surgery, high-risk skin cancer treatments, and skin of color, Dr. Henry is a committed research scientist, the clinical instructor of dermatology at Weill Cornell Medical College, and a regular expert commentator in the media, having appeared in InStyle, Cosmo, Essence, Dr. Oz, and beyond. In fact, I met Dr. Henry recently when we were featured side-by-side in a day of media interviews on behalf of a skincare brand. I was delivering my anecdotal commentary from a beauty perspective while she was dishing the goods on the serious stuff that y'all really need to know. So we are so thrilled to have her here with us. Dr. Henry, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You guys are amazing, and I'm excited about doing this deep dive. Yay. Yeah, we are so excited to have you here with us. And, you know, we always do a little weekly catch-up topic, and I'd love to hear from you too. So I had one today, Christine. Can I just jump into it? Yeah, go for it. Okay, I was just thinking about the holidays because obviously it's on everybody's mind. You know, Thanksgiving has been such a topic of conversation in my family and every other family across America. So uh, I'm just curious, what is everyone's, everyone doing? I'm taking everyone's turkey day temperature. <laughs> I just had this conversation actually um, with my sister who has two children and we saw them for the first time since March this past weekend in Central Park. And it was, it's, it's so crazy that how many months is that now? It's almost like seven months. And they just finally left New York City. They lived here for years and um, they bought a home and long story short, we're just all like, oh my gosh, what are we doing for the holidays? Are we going to see you guys? You know, how do we see you guys? What do we do? They have two kids who are just going into um, school like a few days a week. So I think it's still kind of up in the air. It would be, if anything, it would be my parents and then my sister and her husband and their two kids and John and I, but then what do we do? Do we sit outside on the porch somewhere? Cause she does have a house, but I don't, I honestly don't know what to do. I I just got another article from a friend today who sent this whole, it was like a grid of like where you should sit if you're indoors and be by a window. And it just seems like so much stress that it's, it's like, it's going to take the joy out of the holidays. I wonder if we just don't do it. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, so for us, we just made an executive decision. We, we, all decided collectively it's a hard pass this year. And the reason why, there's a few reasons why. My sister and I, my middle sister, Lindsay, and I both have little kids that are back in school. So, and that's, that's my risk to take, right? Like I don't, that's my choice to put him in school, knowing that it is a risk. It's a calculated risk. I'm doing the best I can as a mama. Um, but every day that he goes into school, he, 
could be exposed to something. It is not my place to expose my parents to that. My mom is a cancer survivor. My father is much older. And my husband's mother is much, much, much older. And we just cannot be in a place where we feel like we could be possibly exposing them. So we all decided collectively, like, there will be next year. We're going to do our best. I had the kids make a little something. We're going to send um, all of the grandparents a little something to open and enjoy on Thanksgiving. And I'm sure we'll do a little Zoom. But, you know, at the end of the day, it just didn't feel worth it. Yeah. How about you, Michelle? Yeah, you know, same. So in my family's in Texas. And a lot of my friends, their parents aren't here either. My mom's a cancer support uh, survivor. So the idea of having my family fly here and we'll take that risk is just too great. So a lot of my friends who their families are outside of the state, we're having a Friendsgiving. Um, and a lot of them are physicians as well. So, you know, I get tested every week, sometimes twice a week. Um, so we all feel pretty confident about our, our lack of exposure, or at least our status. And we're doing a Friendsgiving outside. We're actually, one of my friends just bought a house um, in East Hampton and she's renting like a tent. <laughs> and we're just like having it outside and like, hopefully it's not too cold, but it's something to look forward to. And like, you know, it'll be nice. It'll be nice. It's not, it won't be the same without all of our families, but it's, you know, safe. And we're taking that, that tiny risk to be together. You know what I'm finding? I'm finding there's so many new traditions and memories to be made like Halloween. So we just finished Halloween, obviously. And with my little kids, I had heard so much drama from the mamas, understandably. So nobody wants to disappoint their kids, obviously. But I said, guys, you'll disappoint them a hell of a lot more if you're in the hospital for six months or God forbid, not with us. Like you just, you have to be the grown up, even if you get side eye from your kids. But let me tell you what ended up happening. We did so many other fun Halloween things as a family that I never would have thought to do like a candy scavenger hunt and all of these things in our house. We still walked around our neighborhood and we, you know, that was so fun. That was my kids don't, your kids don't care, by the way. They don't care. Maybe when, maybe if they're a little older, I can only speak for my kids. They're five and one and a half, but they just care about being with us. They care about getting dressed up and doing a little something. They don't care exactly what it is. So it's, I think, in my opinion, it's the grown-up's job to keep the family safe and you got to do the best you can this year. Yeah. I have to say I was in New York for the weekend and we don't have kids, but my sister does. So again, we went to go see them in the park. And when I tell you all of New York City, it was a beautiful day, a little chilly, but it was sunny. All of New York City, it was so cool and creative to see all these different picnics and outdoor socially distant parties. All the kids were dressed up. It was like one big Halloween like celebration, but safely. And everybody, everybody had like smiles on their faces. They were enjoying it. It was almost like it was better than what they would have been doing if they were cooped up, you know, at parties or inside or things like that. It was, it just all worked out perfectly, I think. So I think we're all doing such a good job with trying to make the best of it. And like you said, we're learning new traditions and maybe this will keep going on, you know, for years to come if we're having a good time and we're staying safe and who knows what else is coming down the line. So yeah, the masks on. It's bringing out creativity in people and that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Even with my patients, I've noticed that they're so resilient. Like as you're saying, like the parents are worried, the kids aren't worried. They're like coming up with good ideas and what they want to do and like new fun masks that they can create since they can't do their traditional costumes. Like, so I think kids are so resilient. I've been wowed by how creative New York has been. Oh, let me tell you something. I think everybody was the most worried about like the kindergarten age kids. My son, his class, they could care less. They're so, 
They're so happy to be back in school with each other that he's like, mask, mask, fine, no problem. He wears it all day, every day. They never, they are so obedient. They're diligent. Whenever he, he tells me about school, he'll go, mom, that's, we got to stay a pool noodle apart. And they actually have a pool noodle just to measure the six feet. But when they go to the bathroom, when they line up, they stay a pool noodle apart and they're just like in it to win it. They are. It's so, isn't it crazy? Like I wish adults would follow the rules like the kids. We were in, again, I'll, I'll refer back to the park this weekend. I couldn't believe it. Jesse, who's like not even three, I want to say, had his pacifier in his mouth with the mask on, didn't touch his face the whole time. And he was talking with it. And I was like, Lori, is Jesse, is, what's in his mask? And she's like, his passy. And I was like, he doesn't care. She's like, they're fine. They don't touch the masks. It's like they listen to orders. They understand. And that's it. Why can't the adults do this? <laughs> amen. <laughs> well, amen. On that. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Well, controversial topic that shouldn't be controversial. Let's move on to our topic of the day, right? Okay. I'll take it away. <laughs> so the temperatures are dropping and the air is getting crisp and dry. Um, and this time of year, you can really do a number on your skin from dry patches to sensitive skin issues to chap lips, cheeks, noses, you name it. We're definitely waving the white flag when it comes to winter skin care. We all want good skin and we want to look young, but there's so many products on the market right now that we're just so overwhelmed. And not to mention we're influencers, so we get tons of beauty products to test all the time. But truth be told, it's hard to separate the winners from the hocus pocus. So we wanted to take our best questions to the best in the biz to get the inside scoop on which tried and true products should be in all of our cabinets going into winter and what we should be doing proactively to get our skin prepared. So Dr. Henry, thank you for joining us. Absolutely right. This is a critical time for skincare. As the seasons are changing, it's cold enough now that the radiators are on, so that's affecting our skin. And I have so many patients coming into my office saying, I don't know what to do. You know, my my summer moisturizer just isn't enough anymore. And so now is the time for transition. You know, I always tell my patients we're transitioning our wardrobe. We should really transition our skincare at those same points throughout the year. So the first complaint, dry, 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 we're getting dry. What do we do? So there are a few things we can change. First, our cleansers. So in the summertime, a lot of us are using cleansers that are a little bit harsher. We want to get rid of oil and dirt and debris and, and sweat. So maybe we're using a foaming cleanser or we're using a gel cleanser. Or we had more acne during the summertime, so we're using a cleanser that has like salicylic acid in it. Now's the time to transition. As you get a little bit drier, our oil glands aren't pumping as much. You can switch to a hydrating cleanser. So that's the first step is because if we're stripping our skin barrier too much, then we're really going to be uncomfortable. We're going to be dry, especially while we're wearing our mask this winter. So that's the first step we could do. The second is really take inventory of all of your moisturizers. Are you using lotions or creams? So creams are always going to be better. They're a little bit richer. Um, they're going to give you more hydration. Look at your ingredients. So we want to look for ingredients like ceramides, hyaluronic acid, aloe, glycerin, all of those ingredients that really help to draw in water. They're humectant, so they, they draw in water. Um, for those that have a little bit of acne or they want to kind of renew their skin, but now they feel like their salicylic acid is too drying, maybe switch from that to glycolic acid. So glycolic acid is more of a humectant. Um, so those are probably some key steps. And also don't forget your sunscreen, although it's, it's winter time. But those are kind of some immediate steps we can make. That and my humidifier just arrived. So a humidifier at home is, is also really important um, as we transition. Yeah, I was just telling Jamie, 
We were just talking about that. I was saying that. it makes such a huge difference, especially in New York, um, even with just getting uh, keeping your immune system up, I think, too, and not having that dry air. But I notice it's so, it's so important to have that going at night. I keep it on all day, usually, you know, after we change the filters, yeah. let that run. And that and mixing a, a like a rose water face spritzer just makes me feel a little less tight when I'm indoors all day. Yeah, it's so miserable when you wake up and you have that like dry cotton <laughs> feeling in your throat, in your nasal passage. Passages. So it's, it's a big deal. A big deal. So can I ask you a question? Okay. I think I always laugh when people make the joke, the influencer joke, like a lot of people have been asking me about my skincare routine because <laughs> I always joke, like no one's asking me about my skincare routine because I don't have one. Like, to be honest, I hardly washed my face until I was in my late thirties. I washed it in the shower and yeah, I kept it moving because like I never had skin problems. <laughs> I did or whatever. I don't know what happened, but I hit a certain age and I started developing some issues. So I got some blemishes. I wouldn't say acne, but I, I have blemishes. I have some discoloration. I certainly over tanned when I was younger and didn't listen to some of the recommendations. Um, so my question is this, like, what is the bare minimum that we should be doing? Like how many steps? Cause I see some of these influencers with like a 47 step skincare routine. And I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I have like six jobs and I'm a mama too. It ain't happening. It's so funny so you how, say that. I always tell my patients work? like, how can you do that when you're gainfully employed? Like 16 steps in the morning, you just can't do it. And you don't need to do it. Now, if you enjoy it and it's just like a meditative process and you just, you enjoy this long luxury moment of self-care, then go for it. But there is a bare minimum. That bare minimum around four to three to four steps, really. So you cleanse, you treat, you moisturize, and you protect. And the treatment stage is something that could be optional. That's something like your retinol or your vitamin C, um, you know, all those things that help to kind of boost your skin, transform your skin. If you say, I don't need a treatment, then the absolute bare minimum, cleanse, moisturize, and protect. That's what you can absolutely not go without. So if you don't have a lot of time, you can multitask in that way. What about toner? Toner is not a must. And so I think about toner a little bit differently than we used to think of toner. So toners used to, um, they were there to augment your cleansers. So once upon a time when our cleansers weren't smart cleansers, we have really smart cleansers now, we would use a toner to kind of augment it, to get rid of any residual dirt, oil, and debris. But nowadays we don't need to do that. So the way I look at a toner, I look at it as a way to get um, a dilute form of active ingredients. If you look at a lot of our toners, they have salicylic acid, they have glycolic acid, they have lactic acid, they have other ingredients. So more than augmenting our, our cleanser, they're really adding dilute dilute, um, dilute active ingredients. So I think of it as almost a step below an essence, you know, there's an essence and then there's a serum. That's kind of how I look at them. Um, and so it's a nice addition, but you don't have to have one. Now, if you have a few more seconds, I absolutely love them because I'm a huge fan of exfoliation. So a lot of the toners that I recommend are slightly exfoliative because it's a nice way to add some exfoliation without using something that's harsh or manual or super concentrated, especially as we're getting a little bit drier this season. So it's not a must have, but it's a nice to have. I have a question. This is Christine. Um, I there's Well, it's almost a two-part question. As far as exfoliators go, I noticed, or I used to think that, oh, as it got drier out, you should do that less. But I learned that you should do it, you should stay consistent because you're getting rid of those dry skin cells and you're letting your skin absorb more of the products that you're going to be putting on, right? That's, you know, you're making way and you're cleaning out that kind of flakiness. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm always a fan of exfoliating. It's just that when it gets a 
little bit dry, maybe you have to change the way that you exfoliate. So maybe in the winter, you can't use an manual exfoliator. You can't use salicylic acid. You may need to transition to glycolic acid or lactic acid, something a little bit weaker. But yes, it's always going to help because also in the wintertime, we're using heavier creams. And so, you know, we want to get that extra step of exfoliation is going to help get rid of that, that dirt, oil, and debris that's clinging to our heavy moisturizer and not allowing our serums to penetrate and whatnot. So yes, we still need to exfoliate, but listen to your skin. I always tell my, my patients, I'm a fan of intuitive skincare. So ask yourself like, what do I need today? Um, but listen to your skin and maybe switch for the winter months, but you're absolutely right. Exfoliation is key all year long. And a lot of people say that they, when they don't exfoliate, it actually starts to clog the pores because you're putting that stuff on top of those dry skin cells. Exactly. And then it's just like creating this buildup. Um, but my other part of the question was, can you also, I mean, we do have a lot of steps and can, if we do love it, that's great, but can you do too much? Is it, you know, like, do you start to get too sensitive? And then when you do finally go out into the winter, harsh conditions or in the summer, you're making your skin super, super sensitive by stripping it and overdoing it. You're absolutely right. So I often talk to my, um, my patients or my medical residents or whoever I'm teaching about skin, about the skin barrier. And so our skin barrier is sacrosanct. And, you know, our skin barrier is the upper level, upper layers of our skin, and it's made to waterproof our, our, our bodies. So keep the good things in and the bad things out. Um, but if we wash too much, we compromise it. So we talk a lot about like pH balance. So our skin is slightly acidic. If we're overwashing it, we disrupt that. And then our skin can't fight bacteria as well. It's sensitive. Our skin gets leaky. So bacteria, pollution, environmental aggressors can all get in if if we overwash or we over cleanse or we're over treating or over exfoliating. So it's all about balance with the skin and it's balanced based on pH, exfoliation, moisturization. It's all about balance because our skin really is a delicate structure that needs to remain intact. So you're absolutely right. You can't do too much. One more thing to add to that too. And maybe it's a myth or maybe it's true. Cause I did use, I did try this and I do it quite often. When you go to sleep, you, your face is clean, you do the exfoliating, you do all that stuff. So you're really just going to bed with the serums and the moisturizers. Yeah. So when you wake up, I've been told that you don't really have to go crazy if you're not going to, like, let's say you shower later in the day and you're just going to wash your face to wake up. Is it true that you can just kind of like splash some water and pat it because you're just getting that off? It's not like you were like rolling in the mud yeah. <laughs> during the night and you're not really getting super, super dirty. You just want to get those oils off, but yeah. it's also helping you like strip it less and, and maybe, or is that, is that, so this, this is the area of, of controversy. Yeah, that's how. <laughs> I was wondering what you had to say. <laughs> so it is. So I'm a fan of using a cleanser morning and night, but using a smart cleanser because you know if you think about the fact that our skin is slightly acidic, water is actually has slightly higher pH than a pH balanced cleanser. So water is not necessarily always just better and not always benign, you know. And if you're using a good cleanser and you have sensitive skin, that cleanser should not only take away; it should give. So it should also give you those ceramides. It should also give you that hydration to help prepare you for the day. Um, so I'm a fan of using maybe a more robust cleanser at night, but using a, an uber gentle hydrating um, cleanser in the morning, but also thinking of it as a step, um, as a part of your skincare, as an intentional step to prepare your skin for the day, instead of just thinking of it as a step that's, you know, washing things away. Gotcha. Oh gosh, you're giving me something to think about now. I'm like, should I be doing this all in the morning too? Because I've gotten good about doing things in the evening. And what something that's uh, that you and I were talking about, Dr. Henry, on our last uh, media day was a retinol product. Now, 
the advice that I was giving, and this was based on a recommendation from my own dermatologist, was to use it on clean skin at night. So that's what I've been doing with this particular product. I like it, but what I will say is, as a retinol product, I'm noticing that it's pretty harsh on my skin. I'm noticing, you can't say it right now because we're just talking on Zoom, but if you could actually see closer up, I have some dry, flaky patches. Like it look, it seems like it's flaking a little bit. Like it's, yeah. I don't know if it looks irritated, but it looks dry. Is that normal with retinol? And I was wondering, should I stop using it or is my skin like pushing through something? Like I'm turning over dead skin cells and getting rid of the bad. Yeah. So, you know, like retinol is, that's our, like our, our gold star in dermatology. We love retinol. It's one of our like hero ingredients um, because it's one of the most transformative ingredients for the skin. However, there is there can be a period of redness and irritation. And the way I think of it, I kind of liken it to um, to running a marathon. Like you would never run a marathon without practicing first, right? Like you're going to do a few small runs. You're going to wake your work your way up to it. Otherwise, you're going to hurt yourself. And that's what happens with retinol. So if you're a little bit in dry and red, it doesn't necessarily mean that you cannot tolerate it. It might just mean that you have to pull back. You have to start slow. You have to use it once a week. Um, you had then graduate to twice a week and then ultimately you'll be able to use it night nightly, hopefully, or maybe you just need a weaker concentration. Um, but I wouldn't let it, um, deter you. If you're a little bit red, I would say there are some things we can do to kind of mitigate against that redness. So there's one thing we call the sandwich method. So what you do is you actually put your moisturizer on first. Then you put on your retinol and then you sandwich that in with another layer of moisturizer. So that's helping to give your skin that hydration, prep your skin barrier, but you're still getting some of the benefits of the retinol. So it's a nice little cheat. Um, Also making sure that you're using things like smart cleansers, you know, because if you're using it on clean skin, but you're using a cleanser that has like really harsh surfactants, it's stripping all of your oil. Um, like I tell my, my patients, you know, your cleanser doesn't know your good oil from your bad oil. <laughs> so if you're using a harsh cleanser, it's just stripping everything. So using a gentle cleanser, using that sandwich method, all of those things will help. Um, but don't be too discouraged. Now, can there be a retinol that's just too strong for you? Absolutely. But I would try all of those steps before throwing it away. Um, because a lot of the over-the-counter retinols are typically pretty tolerable. If, they're, if you can't tolerate them, we have lots of other ingredients that you can use, but I wouldn't let a little bit of redness or dryness, especially in the beginning, deter you because there are things that we can do. All right. That's really good advice. For winter skin, also um, a lot of people ask about oils and if they're, if they're going to clog your pores. And I know they've gotten so much more advanced over the yeah. years. In the beginning, it used to be like, you know, one kind of oil and it would clog your skin. But sometimes I put a little bit of a dropper into my actual serum, um, moisturizer and then I mix it in. So I'm not putting the oil directly on my skin. Yeah. Is, is that like a nice compromise to do that if you don't want to directly put it on? Although I feel like now there, like I said, there's so many different versions of oils that are lightweight that might be safer for people who are scared about breaking out. Yeah. So oils are graded on a scale of zero to four, four or five, um, based on how comedogenic they are. Um, and that's how likely they are to clog the pores. And so there are some oils like argon oil or grapeseed oil that we see in a lot of rosehip oil that we see in a lot of products because they're really low on that scale. And there are a lot other oils like, like coconut oil, which is actually quite high, um, which is why we don't see a ton of coconut oil in facial products, maybe on the body. Um, so it's all about picking the right oil. Um, I do like that method of putting the cream on and locking it in because oils tend to be a little bit more occlusive than creams. And so that's a nice way, especially in the winter when all of our moisture just wants to drift away from our skin. Um, But it's going to be about, you know, using a smart 
oil and understanding your oils. And so again, argon oil, grapeseed oil, um, and those are some of my favorites. Staying away from coconut oil is heavy. Um, olive oil is somewhere in the middle. Um, not the greatest, but those three are probably some of my favorites because they tend to work really well. And I do love coconut oil on my body though, I have to say. Yeah. I, and I just take the tub of, you know, oil and I keep it in the bathroom and yeah. I put it actually by the heater so it gets a little oh, more moist like and then I put that on as my skin is wet and it really yeah. helps during the winter. I have to say like cuticles and heels and yeah. elbows, all that stuff. Also good for those with eczema because coconut oil is a little bit antimicrobial. So for like kids with eczema, um, oftentimes a little bit of bacteria in their skin can trigger their eczema flares. So I like to have that as a little, a little cheat for kids with eczema because it helps. Hey, can we talk sunscreen for a second? Because I would imagine in the winter, most people stop using it when of course they really need to be applying it during the daytime hours, anytime, right? So how important is it? And knowing that you specialize in skin cancer, can you tell us how common skin cancer is for women our age and why we should all be more careful? Skin cancer is exceedingly common. Um, You know, two people die every hour in the U.S. from skin cancer. Um, So exceedingly common. Um, If you've had five um, sunburns in your lifetime, which I think most people who are prone to burning have, that doubles your risk for having skin cancer. Um, And women under the age of 49, um, it is the number one cancer second to breast and thyroid. For women between the age of 25 and 29, it is the highest type of cancer. Um, So it it is real. (laughs) There is a true epidemic of skin cancer. And sunscreen is one of the ways that we prevent against it. So even just SPF 15 can really, can reduce, using that every day can reduce your risk by almost half. Um, we recommend SPF 30 and above because that gives you even more protection. But sunscreen is is absolutely critical. We know that UV light is a known carcinogen. Um, you know, this it's not theory. It is a known carcinogen. So sunscreen is one of our primary ways that we can protect against that. Sunscreen, not, a, not sunscreen alone, because sunscreen is not perfect. Also just making, you know, sun safe choices, wearing wide brimmed hats, you know, making sure that you're um, not exposing yourself to the sun during most peak hours. But yes, um, you know, worldwide skin cancer is the most common cancer. So it is real. It will affect all of us in our lifetime. Um, so we really have to be careful. And how are we all applying sunscreen wrong? Because I know we are. I know I am. And I've heard so many, there's so many different opinions. And there was there was a woman, I'm not going to say who she what is because you would probably know her, um, but she is the founder of one of the largest beauty brands. And I, I'm a horseback rider and I used to be a horseback rider out in California. And she used to come to the horse shows with literally, it looked like kabuki, like makeup, like white, yeah. like a quarter. And she said that if you don't apply it a quarter inch thick, it's not working. Is that true or is that crazy? That's not necessarily true, especially now we have far more elegant sunscreens that, you know, are still giving you adequate SPF and they don't look like you're wearing clown makeup. So you don't have to have it a quarter thick. Um, That probably, you know, before we had more elegant um, uh, physical sunscreens, maybe that's what people thought. So you were seeing that thick white zinc pasty um, sunscreen, but now that's not the case. So what we recommend is about probably about a nickel size to the face and about a golf ball size or a shot glass side to the full body. Um, so, you know, a lot of people are, are probably under treating those areas. So that's about what you need. And then another area where I see that people make a lot of mistakes is that they're not reapplying frequently enough. 
And so you need to reapply every two hours when you're outside. Um, if you're wearing, if you're in the water more frequently, you know, like every 80 minutes, every 90 minutes, if you're in the water, you really need to do it more frequently. That's a mistake. Another mistake is that we put our clothes on and then we put on our sunscreen. So let's say you are, you know, you're wearing a, a, a blouse that can kind of slide off of your shoulders. So I see a lot of people in the summer, they go out to lunch with their friends and then they come to see me because they have a massive burn because they put their sunscreen on after they got dressed. So a nice little cheat is to put your sunscreen on before you get dressed. That's a nice one. Um, and then, you know, you need to reapply even when you're indoors, really, you know, because UVA, we're all living the indoors life now, you know, but UVB doesn't come in. UVB is UV burning, but UVA is UV aging. And UVA, certain wavelengths can still play a role in, um, in skin cancers, but we know that UVB is what we typically uh, are concerned about. Um, but UVA makes its way in. And if it's not just skin cancer, we're also worried about accelerated aging and hyperpigmentation and all of those things that UVA can contribute to. So I really recommend wearing your sunscreen, even if you're indoors, if you're sitting next to a big window like I am now. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really, really critical. You just blew my mind. Driving. I didn't know that you were supposed to do that. And oh yeah, driving. Yeah. I was going to say one of that one side of your face that's always getting it. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't drive cause I'm in New York, but I, I know that a lot of people there for hours and hours, you don't think of it when it's hitting your, you know, the windows up. And there's a fantastic um, photo, maybe I'll send it to you guys, uh, of a gentleman. I think he was featured in the New England Journal of Medicine. I think he was a truck driver and his twin wasn't. Um, But on that left side of his face, completely aggressive photo aging. And the second side, it was like a a totally different person. It is the most dramatic photo ever. I always show it to my patients. I'll send it to you guys. Um, But yeah, that UV light comes right on in. So it is crazy. All right. Well, speaking of aging, and I was was so funny. I was just on the phone with like a marketing executive before this, just having a casual, like it was a business call, but of course it went into girls chat. Right. And she was like, she was looking through my Instagram because we were talking about Instagram and she was like, oh, you, your skin is so pretty. Can I ask you some questions about aging and skincare? And I was like, girl, you were barking up the wrong tree, but sure, <laughs> go for it. So she was asking me all these questions about Botox. And here's the thing. I like to, um, uh, we like to on this show a lot, promote balance. Like a lot of us are like really into like green and holistic and yada, yada. But like, I'm not against Botox, you know, like I'm not against any of the, personally. So I'm kind of, uh, I kind of have my foot in both lanes there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of us consider Botox or fillers as we get older. Is there anything that you'd recommend different? Like instead of trying such harsh procedures to plump our skin and combat aging, is there anything you would recommend we do first? And if we decide to go the path of some of those cosmetic treatments, you know, kind of where would somebody start and can that stuff be toxic? Yeah, fantastic question. So I am clearly a fan of using um, injectables conservatively. um, and, um, And when you're ready to, I do believe in doing preventative things first. Um, and then when we get to the stage where, you know, the only thing that can fix this is Botox or filler, then we advance. But some things that you can do at home is what we just discussed, sunscreen. You know, our biggest anti-aging tool is, you know, protecting ourselves from UV light. So sunscreen, 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 retinol. So retinol is probably the next step. Um, you know, that gentle exfoliation, that, that cellular turnover is going to help to face any fine lines and wrinkles. So retinol is a big one. Um, if you can't tolerate retinol, glycolic acid can also help. They both help to um, cause um, exfoliation, which again, I'm a huge fan of exfoliation. 
because it helps to stimulate healthy skin cells, helps to stimulate some collagen. So those are things that you can do at home as well. Um, antioxidants are going to help preventatively because there's a lot of what I call, especially in New York, kind of like city face or big city face <laughs> from pollution and all those things that are just like attacking our, our skin, attaching to our moisturizer and our makeup and poking holes in our collagen. Another reason why you absolutely must wash your, wash your face at night. Um, so yes, we mu we must do that because you know that pollution can really attack our skin. So antioxidants, you know, vitamin C, resveratrol, those are really good ones and really popular ones. Um, so those really help. Those are probably some of our biggest um, biggest tools that we can use at home. Um, and then before we get to injectables, and it depends on someone's threshold if they feel that injectables are more aggressive or lasers are more aggressive. But if you feel like injectables are more because they're actually crossing the skin barrier, then you can do like chemical peels, which help to um, get rid of fine lines and wrinkles. And there are some that you can do at home. Um, or you can do some lasers. And we have, you know, varying lasers from baby lasers that are like lunchtime lasers with zero downtime that will slowly give you results or to heavier duty resurfacing lasers to get rid of those fine lines and wrinkles, stimulate some collagen, give you some lift and some plumping. So we have lots of things that we can consider, um, which is why it's good to get a good consultation so we can give you, you know, everything that should be in our, in your toolkit at home and uh, our toolkit to compare and see where you are. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of things you can do. And I've been hearing so many girls, young girls that don't even really need it, um, doing it preventatively, like in their 20s. Yeah. Is that something that you think is a little bit too soon? Because, well, for injectables and for yeah. things like Botox and stuff, just because it is something that you said you might want to build up to. Um, yeah. But, you know, as, as you're you know, aging, maybe. But what about that early 21 to 20, 30 no, you're right. That 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 is what we call prejuvenation. So a lot of people who are doing those things, they never have to do it later. And um, I'm of two minds about it. So there are some patients who come in. There's absolutely nothing, um, and they just want it because their friends have it. And I say, nope, not for you. <laughs> there are some patients who come in and they're younger, and we actually see signs. You know, like for instance, on me, um, my dad has this dark line across his forehead because we have these little short petite foreheads, and we both animate a lot. Um, and it's hyperpigmented and it looks handsome on a man, not so good on a girl. And so when I started to see mine at about 28 or 29, I frankly started using Botox because I knew what the future, what was in store for me. And I never got it, you know, how many years, many, many years later. And so it depends on the person, how they're aging, what they're looking to prevent against their genetics, what I already see. So I always hesitate to like pick a firm age because some people come in and they're, 39 and I say, you know what? I really don't see anything yet. It really is based on what we see and that's different for everyone. All right. And one more question back to um, sun prevent skin care and um, skin checks. I go, I'm outdoors a lot. I run outside. I surf outside. I snowboard, you know, I'm always outside. And I have learned over the years that I've had some moles removed. Um, they were, it was all okay, but a lot of questionable marks on me. And I go now twice a year, before summer and after summer. And I know a lot of people don't even think to do that, or they just think it's not really that important or what, what, you know, what are you going to find? But they check everything. And I really, really, I think that's such a great tip to start doing it the, the sooner, the better. Um, do you guys promote that a lot? Like that, is that really a good way to catch it? We do. And I'm so glad that you said that because we definitely need a public service announcement about this. You know, we recommend it annually, you know, yeah. annually after the age of 18. And because it's not only skin cancer, there are other things, you know, 
what I love about dermatology is that the skin is a tattletale. You know, it tells us on like what's going on inside. Um, we help we we help to like adjust not only your skincare regimen, but there are other diseases that can you know hypothyroidism. There are other internal cancers that we see through the skin. There are other cancers outside of your standard non melanoma and melanoma skin cancers that we can find on the skin. So it is just another touch point with the healthcare system that can really save your life. Um, so I really recommend coming in annually um, for for many reasons, but especially especially for skin cancer. Um, and so, yeah, we look, we look at everything. Once you've had a, an abnormal mole, we recommend you coming in every six months. Once you've had a cancer, I have you come in every three months for two years until I see that you no longer have new lesions. And then I see you less frequently, you know, finding a skin cancer early makes a big difference. You know, a few months makes a huge difference in your prognosis. Um, and you know, it's hard to see a lot of them at home. I guide my patients through how to do self skin checks at home. And so I think, especially during this virtual world, we've gotten better at that, but it really is important that you have a professional lay eyes on you, a professional board certified dermatologist lay eyes on you at least once a year. Yeah, because I start to go the other way to what you just said, doing my own checks, you know, in between. And then I start getting paranoid because I think everything is questionable. So, and I'm Italian, so I have a lot of like little brown birthmarks and spots all over popping up, you know, as, as I age. So I'm just always, you know, on the lookout. But yeah, your mind can run wild with that. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of anxiety and it can be crippling for a lot of patients. Mm-hmm. So we just, we say, you know, this is what the data is. If you've had something every six months, if not each year. And then I teach them how to go through the ABCDEs, um, which are A is asymmetry. So your mole should not be asymmetric. B, the border should be nice and smooth because melanoma is kind of biologically active. So it'll separate from the pack. If you see an offshoot, that's concerning. The color, flesh colored, pink, brown, anything that's really dark, multiple colors, black, even if it turns white in certain areas, that could be concerning. Um, and D is diameter. So anything should be, mole should be smaller than a pencil eraser. And then E is evolving. So anything that's changing. So I teach them the ABCDEs. Um, I even show images of like what to look for. It's hard without a trained eye, but we, we do our best when we can't see you in the office. Um, but the, the best thing is just, you know, remaining vigilant at home and making sure you're trying your best and communicating with your dermatologist. That's really great advice because right now I think so many of us have only been going to the doctor if it was a dire emergency. And I'll tell you, I, um, I'm due for like a mammogram, for instance. And again, I have breast cancer in my family. Have I gotten it yet? No, I'm a couple months late. I'm going to go get it pretty soon. I'm going uh, up to my home doctor uh, by my mom's house to do it. But like, it's one of those things that I let go because of COVID. So I would imagine that skin cancer checks are a big, that really falls into that category. And that there's probably a lot of people trying to do it through telemedicine though. And maybe that's at least, is that second best? It's second best to not doing it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's tough. Like a lot of the platforms, um, the camera quality isn't high enough. So what I have my patients, do if they can't come in, I have them get a really good camera, get their iPhone. I teach them how to have their family members take photos so that we can get some higher quality images. It's hard. It requires a little bit of additional work, but it can be done. Okay, wait. So speaking of like weird things that happened during like COVID times. So I have a, a total like left turn question, but it's, it's very important to me at least. Um, But you know why I think it's actually important is because I've heard a lot of my other, now that ever since I had started experiencing this and I share about it a little bit on, um, on social media or just with my friends, a lot of other women say, oh my gosh, that happened to me too. So I'm wondering if it's more common than I realize. I've developed, I suppose it's an allergy, I guess. And it didn't happen until I was in my late thirties. When I wear eye makeup a few days in a row, or now that 
we're doing like fake lashes from home. You know, I, I do a lot of TV from home. I used to get, you know, the semi-permanent lashes, but now I do my own. I glue them on with probably not, you know, who knows about the quality of this glue. <laughs> All of a sudden I get these terrible rashes either on my eyelids or just underneath my eyelids. It looks like dry skin, but it can be painful to the touch. And it's, it happens all the time. It's almost to the point where I can't wear eye makeup. And I've spoken to a lot of other women who have the same issue. So is there any insight into this? Because it seems to be maybe more common than I'm realizing. Yeah. I mean, what you're describing sounds classic for what we call allergic contact dermatitis. Um, And you can develop it at any stage. You know, your skin can become sensitized to an ingredient at any point in life. Um, you know, there's allergic contact dermatitis where you're actually having an allergy. So your body is responding aggressively to something that is otherwise benign, or it's irritant, meaning that whatever the, the chemical is or the ingredient is, is actually disrupting the upper layers of your skin. Either way it can present similarly red, uncomfortable, sometimes kind of itchy. And the eyes are a really common area for this because the skin is so thin. It's so thin. It's so delicate. It's exposed to a lot. Eyes can even, um, can, eyelids can even respond to airborne things like pollen. They can get swollen and itchy. So it just tells you how sensitive they are that you don't even have to touch them. Um, but makeup is a big one. And so what I usually try to recommend is you know, avoid if you can. Um, we will patch test in the office to figure out exactly what ingredient it is. But there's so many, especially in, in eye makeup, if it's a mascara, you know, there are going to be preservatives there. There are going to be different resins there or dyes there if it's, um, if it's color makeup. Um, so there's so many things that we, we can patch test you for to see what you're specifically responding to. And then you can kind of do your own trial at home. So there are things like looking for just hypoallergenic makeup. So Clinique makes fantastic hypoallergenic makeup. There's something else called VMV hypoallergenics. Their entire makeup line is about um, having hypoallergenic makeup. Um, powders are going to be better than creams because anything with water is going to have to have certain preservatives to maintain it. So using things like bare minerals, you know, powders instead of foundation, those are all kind of tips for someone who's really sensitive. But yes, this is very, very common. And, you know, you know, we can really get sensitized at any age. Well, one last Cody question mm-hmm. <laughs> going into winter. I've heard a lot about mask knee. Mm-hmm. I, I really do think it's such a problem. And I think that people are struggling with it. What can you tell us? What should we be doing? And how should we be taking care of kind of the lower half of our face different than we would have been in the past? Since we're really, uh, depending on what industry you work in, you might have that mask on like most of the day. Yeah, you know, it's it's a tough one. And I'm wearing the mask most of the day. And even I struggled knowing all the tips. I struggled a little bit. So we know that mask me um, is clinically called acne mechanica. Um, and so what's happening is that friction from your mask is causing inflammation, causing cysts further any oil, dirt or debris on the skin is getting pushed into the pores even further because of the friction from the mask. And then it's just an unpleasant environment underneath the mask. So vapors from talking, um, you know, that humidity, um, it's really just disrupting the skin. So we're seeing maskne. We're seeing another condition called perioral dermatitis has become really common during this period. It's just not the ideal area for skin. Um, but what we do is we try to um, fortify the skin barrier. So sometimes I liken it to, and moms will know, like when, you, when kids get diaper rash, what do you need to do? You need to protect the skin. You need a nice thick moisturizer to pre- 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 protect the skin from that friction um, and from that moisture. And so essentially that's what we're doing on the skin. So I like thick moisturizers, um, serum with ingredients like ceramides, hyaluronic acid, all those ingredients that prepare, that protect the skin barrier. 
We don't want to compromise the skin because the skin's inflamed. So another reason for gentle cleansers. Um, whenever we have acne, people just want to attack their acne aggressively um, because that's the last thing you want. So we become like these little mad scientists at home using whatever we can. It's the worst thing you can do because especially with masking, if you're aggressive, you dry out the skin, you compromise the skin barrier, things will only get worse. So really the key with masking is gentle skincare, using your moisturizer to make sure you have a good skin barrier, cleansing away that oil, dirt, and debris, but doing it in a way that's safe and smart with hydrating gentle cleansers, um, and then using acne-fighting ingredients in lower concentration so that you're not stripping the skin further or causing more inflammation. I've been doing, I'm, I'm crazy, like cleaning lady before, before COVID. I, I do washes all the time. I do our pillowcases all the time, even, you know, even in between uh, different loads of laundry. So I'm crazy about after wearing my mask or my husband wears his mask, I'm always um, even just hand washing with a tiny, tiny bit of gentle cleanser just to make sure after a day of wearing it, that's kind of gross and grimy. And I try to have one ready to switch out onto, you know, a clean one ready to go. So when we are one's washing and drying, the other one is ready to go. Just because I feel like can't that build up also with that dirt? Um, and also maybe wearing less makeup underneath. If you know you're not going to really see anybody, maybe don't exactly. put that makeup on down there. Exactly. I like for work, I don't wear any makeup. I wear a little bit of a lip in case I have to bring it down for a second. But yeah, <laughs> trying to avoid makeup if you can. And I recommend that everyone has at least five masks, you know? So at least during the work week, you can have a fresh one. By the weekend, you can clean them for the for the week. But I always say at least five masks. So at least during your work week, you don't have to worry. You can use a new mask every day. Um, and that's what I've been encouraging as well. Either single use, but if you're not using single use, then make sure you have at least five um, to protect yourself. Fabulous advice. It's so crazy that we have all these new things to think yeah. about. <laughs> new world. I know. Thank you so much for helping us. Sure. Yes. Sure. So we always end our show with two quick things. And the first one up is a lightning round. And I have some, some curiosities that I'm going to ask you, Dr. Okay. Henry. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. Number one, morning or evening workout? Ooh, I'm an evening workout person, but I'm, that's because I'm a night owl. I hear that morning's better, but I'm a, I'm a night owl, so I'm a night workout person. I always wonder how doctors work out, period, because you're so busy, but God bless you for getting it in at night. So the second question, what is your favorite workout? Mm, that's a good one. I like cardio. Like I really like Peloton. I liked SoulCycle when I could SoulCycle. Um, I like yoga. So those are probably my favorites. Samesies. Uh, <laughs> and then number three, coffee, tea, or matcha? Oh gosh, can I say both? So I like coffee purely functionally. So just to keep me awake so I could do the work and do the job, but I enjoy tea. So tea is a joy for me, but coffee is just, I need it functionally. I hear that. Yeah, I hear that. All right, Christine, do you want to, do you want to get your karma call? <laughs> karma call. <laughs> so usually Heidi is the yogi and she usually explains what karma, karma is the Sanskrit word for action. Mm -hmm. And we ask all of our listeners, what's one thing you can do that would big or small that would give um, a positive impact to the world or your daily life? Oh man, can I cheat and have two? <laughs> yes. Okay. So the first one is vote. Um, but not only, yes. yeah, so vote is the big one and not only in the, you know, big elections like this, but also your local election. So vote, 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 vote. Um, don't, don't let that, don't let the, you know, after we vote now, don't just give up, keep voting, keep participating. Civic involvement is really critical. And then my second is, um, call a friend that you haven't talked to in a long time. You know, COVID numbers are going up. 
hopefully we don't have a lockdown, but if we do and we need to do that to keep our community safe, we will. Um, but call a friend, you know, we're starting to see a lot of mental health issues. Loneliness is real. And sometimes people just need to know you care and the reverberations of letting people know you care can spread far and wide. So let someone know you care today. Mm. Oh, Those are great. That beautiful. That is a beautiful one. All right. Well, you just inspired me. I'm going to pay that one forward and call somebody <laughs> after this. I am. I like making a little mini commitment and a little mini action. So you just inspired me to call one person after we do this recording. So thank I'll you. I'll do it too. <laughs> all right. I hope all of you out there will do that too. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you for listening as always. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can listen to it anywhere podcasts are consumed. And don't forget to follow us on the gram at Off the Gram Podcast. We'll see you next time. Yay!